don't know if that was new music or what the deal was. That was like a little high energy. Everybody looked like they had a little bit more of a hop in their step when they were going. Pastor said, find somebody. Well, okay, let's go find somebody. Amen. Praise God. I'm thankful for the opportunity to get to speak this morning and share with you a little bit kind of what pastor's vision has been for 2024. Live with purpose. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. But before we do, I wanted to share a little story with you today. And for those of you who have Willisville, Percy background, this might make more sense than to those of you who do not, all right? Where I lived in Willisville, we were right outside of the city limits, and we could turn and just in a moment or two be in the woods, okay? We called it the trails, and so we just knew, you're going to go to the trails today? Absolutely, headed to the trails. And back in the trails was not only like abandoned strip pits where the coal mine had been, but there was a local um, gentleman in town that ran a business that if you needed a load of dirt, that's where he went. And so he had uh, owned some property back there, and so it was just nothing but dirt roads and hills and a little creek that went through, and... My dad had a motorcycle fetish and just loved motorcycles. And at this time in his life, whenever I was real small, in fact, my very first memories, he had a Honda SL70, okay? Now, it's a little one, but it was perfect for me. And what he would do was he would put me right in front of him and he'd say, hang on to the crossbar, okay? He took care of the gas and the brake and the clutch and all that fun stuff. I held on. That was my job. And so very, very early on, one of my first recollections of the trails was uh, this section that later we, we knew as names. We'd named everything back there. And so you would go across the crossing to get to Horseshoe. And back behind Horseshoe was the mountain, Okay. Now, the mountain was hardcore. Many a, a young teenage hotshot thought he could take the mountain with his new bike. Not always the case. And I remember dad telling me stories of guys, because you'd go for a while, and then you'd kind of be on a, a flat surface, but then you almost had to go straight up and do it again. And he said they don't know how to downshift. And they'd be going, going too fast, and they'd hit that spot, and it would come back on them. And so I don't recall anyone being hurt really, really bad. But dad told me one day, super young, before I knew the names of all these places, dad said, we're headed someplace special today. And I said, fine, let's go. And so we went, you know, way back in there. And you go up the mountain and you keep going until you hit Goldfish Lake. Yeah. And dad said, you're really going to enjoy this. And so as we went up the mountain and we made it, you have to go through a lot of brush. There are a lot of times he's like, duck, hold on, cover your face, you know, going through there, going through there. And we finally, through the journey, found this bluff that overlooked Goldfish Lake. It was beautiful out there. So calm, so serene. Those of you who are scenic people or outdoorsy people, you could appreciate that. Um, so once we got there... I was just mesmerized by the beauty of Goldfish Lake. 
And, and dad said, you know, the journey might not be pleasant, but the destination's going to be worth it. Years later, let's fast forward time. Jenny and I have two girls. And they get on this kick of they like to go for walks. And so it is cooler weather. In fact, it wasn't real smart. I'm sorry. It was deer season. We did what we could to decorate in bright colors, but I took them back to Goldfish, and we walked it. And I said, the journey may not be that pleasant, but the destination will be worth it. And they got addicted to this walk where through the years, then they would say, Dad, let's go to Goldfish. Let's walk out walk out in the trails. And so I know that's a physical story of a physical place, but I want to let you know that God wants you to know that whatever the journey is that you're on, it might not be that pleasant. But know this, he's not just in the journey. He's also in the destination. He has good and perfect things in store for you. You may not understand why you're on the road you're on. And I can't stand here and explain to you why you are on the road you are on. What we need to understand is that God has not fallen off the throne. And he's still very aware of your situation. And his promise isn't that trials will never come. That's not in the word. The promise is, I will be with you in the midst of that. So this morning, as we talk about purpose, I'd like for you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to the book of John chapter 4. We'll be reading a few verses from this account, beginning in verse 1. And and as you are locating John 4, I, I want to let you know that this word back here is very interesting in that it is not only a verb, but it is also a noun. And so I wanted to explain this to you because you need to know both and know the value of both. The noun purpose that we know means a plan, a direction, or a goal. And so, live with a plan, live with a direction, live with a goal, <clears throat> but also look at it as a verb. It means determined, focused, directional, and intentional. Live determined, lived focused, lived with intention, an intentional uh, drive. Uh, be aware that just as we are on a journey and we need to have a realization of our purpose, we need to also be purposed in our purpose. And that's exactly what Jesus did in John chapter 4. Let's take a look at verses 1 through 5, and this is out of the ESV. The Bible says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a, a town of Samaria called Sychar. 
Now, these verses tell us why Jesus was going to Galilee. He was doing it to escape the Pharisees. They were hearing of his baptism and his ministry, and so he wanted to get away. It does not tell us, though, why he had to go through Samaria. Many theologians believe that Jews did not go into the defiled land of Samaria. Instead, they had a well-worn path around Samaria through the Jordan Valley to get back and forth between Judea and Galilee. I have a map so you guys can appreciate this a little bit more. If we could put that up. And so I'll come over here. So Jesus was in uh, Judea, and he needed to get up here to Galilee. And so the normal path was right along the side here. Wow, it's crazy to hold a laser still. Right along the Jordan River. It's forever over there. Um, into the Jordan Valley. They did not, they did not go straight through, which, you know, the shortest distance between two lines is a straight point. They would instead go around because people that lived in Samaria were Samaritans. Well, big deal. What's the, what's the problem with Samaritans? Well, they weren't full-blooded Jews. And so they were looked down upon a little bit. And the Jewish nation did not appreciate nor value Samaritans. But despite knowing the view of the Jewish nation, Jesus went through Samaria. And it said in verse 4, he had to pass through Samaria. Now, we think that we take that a little literal we realize that he didn't have to pass through Samaria. He could have went around like everyone else. But the KJV, pastor's favorite translation, the KJV uses these two words, must needs. Jesus must needs go through Samaria. To me, that gives a little bit more of an implication of, of determination and certainty. There was a reason See, despite this, the text clearly tells us he had to go through Samaria. Jesus was doing something off the map. He was doing something out of the ordinary. Let's, but the question is, why? And I'm glad you ask, because Jesus has a purpose in everything that he does. In your life, in my life, in the world, he has a purpose. And if you read the word, so much of it is revealed. That's on you. If you want to know God's plan and purpose, get in the word. That's my tidbit for you. Let's look at verses 7 and then verse 9, why did Jesus have to go into Samaria? Well, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Samaritans were looked down upon by the Jewish nation, and the Jews avoid dealings with Samaritans as much as possible. But why did Jesus decide and desire to go? <laughs> well, it's the same reason he did everything else that he did. He was working off a completely different GPS. And what a great little device. It's in our phones now. We don't even have to have this on our dash. Jenny and I thought we were hot stuff when GPSs came out. And on Black Friday, we got a GPS. The thing was like a small TV. You know, and you hook it to your dash and you punch, you spend all day punching this thing in and you hope that it'll take you in the right direction. Everybody now has a phone. You just Google Maps that puppy and you can get there. No problem. See, Jesus was working off of a different GPS. 
He was listening to the Father. He was appreciating the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And he, unlike the Pharisees at this time, were in tune with the plan of the Father. So why was he so purposed? We see that the reason was to meet this lady, but there was something more. And so if you guys will look at verses, it's 10 through 30. It'll be up on the screen. I'm going to jump around just a little bit for sake of time. Jesus asked her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. Verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Jesus said to her in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this well water will be thirsty again. Verse 14, but whosoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty. Again, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Something is different about you. Isn't that a great line? I don't necessarily want people to think I'm a prophet, but I want them to be around me and know that there's something a little odd about him. There's something a little different. And so as Jesus is talking to the woman, she leans in, Sir, I perceive you're different. You're a prophet. Um, verse 25, she said, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. <laughs> No longer did she perceive he was a prophet. He just tells her, I'm the Messiah. The one you're waiting on, me. Verse 28. So the woman left her water jar, which was extremely valuable, okay? This wasn't like you and I just leaving a cup, okay? This is their livelihood. This is the jug that they used to transport water from point A to point B. She left her water jar and went into town and said to the people in verse 28, Nine, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then the people went out of the town and came to Jesus. <clears throat> I skipped a section where Jesus speaks directly into her life. And, and I didn't want to spend too much time reading it and discussing it. But it's very interesting because we hide things as if we're concealing them from God. I'll do it at home by myself and no one will know. And see, reputation is what happens in the light, but your character is what happens in the dark when no one is watching, okay? And Jesus looked into her life and said, Hey, now that I'm witnessing to you and telling you of the great gift of living water, go get your husband. And she said, well, I don't have a husband. He'll never know. And Jesus said, yeah, you're right to say you have no husband. Uh, you've actually had five, and the one that you're living with now, he's not your husband. And she, her mouth drops open. And that's when she leaves her water jar, runs into town and says, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. We're not hiding anything from God. But the good news is, if he already knows it and he loves me anyway, then there is hope. There is salvation in the name of Jesus. I don't have to walk around and pretend. I can know that he loves me and he wants good for me. And so he desires, he's like, walk in the light. First John talks about it. First John 1, come be in the light. 
Why? Because Jesus is in the light. It's a great reason to be in the light. Jesus was extremely purposed. And so I ask myself this. I'm like, well, why? How? How is it that he became so focused? And it's because of this. One, he saw the need. He saw that there was a need. It's really not that hard if you're walking with Jesus to see the needs that are around you. The closer you get to Jesus, the less life becomes about you. Well, I don't feel comfortable witnessing to people. I don't feel comfortable listening to the Holy Spirit and doing the things he tells me to do. He didn't ask. (laughs) My obedience has nothing to do with my comfort level, okay? When I say that he's Lord, Lord means he's in control. And if he says go, I go. If he says stay, I stay. If he says speak, I speak. If he says shut up, I do my best. (laughs) He saw the need. This woman needed an encounter with Jesus. How often, I'll just tell you that it's in my life, more times than not, a need arises and my first thought is, let someone else do it. That's surely not for me. Pastor says they need help in classrooms. They need help in security. Worship team's looking, and we're always hoping to get people involved. But let someone else do it. I love to sit in my chair. I love to come in at 9.31 and leave it right when it's done. I don't like to talk to people. I don't like to ask about them. I do like to talk about me. But besides that, I'd rather just leave. Hmm. What if Jesus had that mentality (laughs) whenever the father said, hey, there's a lady in Samaria and you need to go there and you need to be Jesus, who is who you are to her. Jesus is like, yeah, but you know, I got 12 disciples. I'll send one of them. There are people out there that are doing the right thing. They can go do it. That wasn't his mentality, so it shouldn't be mine. Let someone else do it. How about this? I'll be that someone else. I'll step in the gap. I'll be, I'll be Jesus to those kids in those classrooms. I'll be Jesus to the people that walk into the doors. I'll be Jesus to a body of believers who need my help. Great idea. I highly recommend it. Jesus knew that there was a need. He also knew there was a message. Look at verse 14, one of the verses that dad wanted me to memorize early on. Whosoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again, but the water that I will give him will be in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. See, once you get Jesus in your life, it's, he's constantly moving. He's constantly talking. There are things that are constantly happening. When we would go out, we would pass a couple spots out in the trails that were just a little strip pit filled with water. It was stagnant. had moss growing on it. It was nasty, okay? There's really not a lot of productivity, if any, from a Christian who is stagnant, 
who doesn't realize that this well is within him, constantly speaking, constantly moving. There's a verse in uh, Psalm 91 that says, um, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Well, where is the secret place of the Lord? Well, I can tell you this. It's in motion. It's not stagnant. He's moving. He's working. He's answering prayer. He's healing people. He's restoring relationships. He is in the business of doing what he does out of love. He speaks life. It's moving. It's not constant. If And I've heard it said for years, a preacher would lean over the pulpit and say, if that doesn't get you excited, then your wood's wet. Get that fire going in it, within you. That well springing up into everlasting life. He knew there was a need. He knew there, he knew there was a message, the message of hope. And then he knew there was potential. And this one struck me just this week as I was reading this portion of Scripture. Verses 29 uh, and 30, she says, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And then the people of the town came to Jesus. See, Jesus saw... Not just an individual, and I shouldn't put too much emphasis on that because there's nothing more important to him than just an individual. There's nothing more important to Jesus than you, okay? No matter what is said, no matter what you are made to believe, you're not alone. He loves you. You are the apple of his eye. He's singing over you when you get up. When you succeed, he gives a fist pump. When you have victories, he's smiling. Okay, But he looks just a little past just the one, and he sees the potential for many. He knew that if he witnessed to her, she had the opportunity to run into town and say, you guys got to come meet the Messiah. And they did. The Bible says they ran out, and they got an encounter with Jesus. Jesus saw the potential in more than just one. Mark 14. 20, Jesus says, but those seeds that were sown on good soil are the ones that hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, and some 100-fold. See, we are planters. The Bible says one is planted and another is watered, but God gives the increase. And it's so much fun when you get to witness to someone and they accept Jesus as their Savior, and then they come back to you and they say, I've been busy doing what God has wanted me to do, the same that you did in my life, and I have been witnessing, and I've been moving. And I say all this because in a, in a very personal experience, I've told you this before, uh, this gentleman that I witnessed to uh, when I worked at Mad Pricer, and for years he thought I was nuts, and he called me one day and he said, you just spoke life into me and you spoke life into me and you spoke life to me and you never knew this. And I wanted you to know that years after I left Mad Pricer and we ended our relationship, I accepted Jesus, the same Jesus that you were telling me about for years. And he said, I want you to know that my family is saved. Catholic background, kind of dabbled in church a little bit and didn't really, they had a re religion, they didn't have a relationship, okay? He goes, I've been on missionary trips to this country and this country and this country witnessing to people who will listen to me about the Jesus that's changed my life. And then he got real quiet. And I'm fighting back the tears. And he said, 
I owe you big time. I said, nothing to do with me. I said, Jamie, it's the Holy Spirit working in your life. I said, the same Jesus, the same thing that Jesus did for you, he did for me just a few years earlier. We sow the seed. We put the good word out. Just as Jesus was purposed, so should we be purposed because we know there's a world in need. You have friends, you have family, you have neighbors. You may even have someone sitting next to you in church that doesn't know Jesus as their personal Savior. Oh, they're a good person. But as the old song goes, good old boys don't make it into heaven. They need the Jesus that you know. We as Christians are the only ones that have the message of hope. And I am not here, I'm not tearing down anyone else's house that lives next to me, but Islam doesn't have any word of hope. They don't have the word of hope. Muslims don't have the word of hope. List the religions, list the beliefs. They don't have the words of eternal life. We alone as Christians carry the Holy Spirit that has the word, has the word of hope. And we also know that we are not limited. One person, one person alone can turn the world upside down. Mordecai Ham was preaching in Charlotte, North Carolina in 1934. During the series of meetings, two high school boys attended the church service, the services that were held each night that week. One evening, both came forward and accepted Jesus as their Savior. One young man was named Grady Wilson. And to be perfectly honest, I've never heard of Grady Wilson. The other young man, Billy Graham. Billy Graham has preached the gospel to more people in live audience than anyone else in history. And nearly 215 million people in more than 185 countries and territories through various meetings, including Mission World and Global Missions, have heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Hundreds of millions have been reached through television, video, film, webcasts, and even radio. There was a young wife, hadn't been married very long, ironing, listening to the radio, when one Mr. Billy Graham came on the air. And Billy Graham, no matter how he packaged it, he had one message. <laughs> if you don't know Jesus, oh, you heard about him, you know about him, but if you don't know him, I know Pastor Ron. I know about Michael Jordan. There's a difference. Pastor sees me, he says, hi. Michael ever saw me, he wouldn't think twice. We don't know each other. We don't have a relationship. Pastor and I do. And one young housewife doing some ironing heard Billy Graham come on the radio. And at the end of the program, turned off her iron, dropped to her knees, and accepted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. 
And that lady was my mom. There's a need. There's a message. There is potential in everyone. And God's love extends out into a world that is in need. And it says this, I'll travel through Samaria for you. I have a purpose and a plan, and it includes you. The journey has a purpose, so be purposed. Be determined. Be intentional. Intentionality says this. We sang some songs this morning. Ashley sang, sing, see a victory. The bridge in that moves me every time I hear it because it's Genesis 50, 20. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. Why is God putting this on me? God isn't putting it on you, but God is going to use it and he's going to use you. The journey might have a piece of brush hit you in the face and you may not be able to see the destination, but know that God is a good God that has good and perfect things for you. He is working in your life. Christ is saying, what a beautiful name. We proclaim that death could not hold him and the heavens are roaring glory and praise because he is raised to life again. John 14, 19, Jesus speaking to his disciples, he said, get this guys, because I will live again, you will live. You will have eternal life through me. And he says the same thing to us. Because Jesus lives, so can we. So do we. Another in the fire. There is another in the fire. Whatever you're going through, whatever journey you're on, whatever path you're taking, whatever road you're walking, he is standing next to you. Even in the midst of a fiery furnace or even in the midst of a Red Sea that you can't get through, God is there. God loves you and he has a plan for you. And so I want, I want to switch gears just for a moment. And I want to let you know of two separate things. And this is my first closing, in case you needed to know. It's my first of five closings. At camp, when we go in July, each morning of camp, the adults all meet in the chapel early. Too early, Miss Jenny, but it's early. Oh, and we come stumbling in, Jeff, some later than others. <laughs> Got to get that coffee. And we will talk about the plan of the day, but then as adults who are there for one reason, the kids, we will stop and we'll say, forget about the challenges of the day and the activities of the day, and the meals. Forget about all of it. We want Jesus to work through us today. And so what we need to do is we need to just turn off all distractions, and we need to hear from him. Krista does a phenomenal job. She usually picks out one or two ministry songs that we'll play through the speakers, and we'll just be quiet, and we'll just hear God and seek him 
And it's such a beautiful thing. Some move up to the front and, and just meet at the altar. Some kneel right where they are. Some just stand and walk around. It's an individual thing. But it's always such a sweet spirit. So you have that. And then Monica and I and Krista have been together for years in Fusion Classroom, even back when it was called the Winter Circle. And we went through a season I couldn't tell you how long that it was. Where the kids that we had were just seeking God and they, they were very vocal about their needs. And so at the end of every class, we would put on a song and we would have ministry time where the teachers would go up front and we would just tell them, if you have a need and you want someone to pray with you and agree with you, we'll be up here. And the kids would line up. We would have seven or eight kids in each line waiting for someone to speak life over them and to pray with them. See, the church isn't a country club. It's not this fun place to come on Sunday just because it's Sunday. The church is a hospital. I'm a broken individual. And I'm in need of a healer. Spiritually, mentally, emotionally. I come here not because I think Jay is better than me. I know that Jay knows the Jesus that I seek. And he'll be quick to encourage me and love on me and pray with me, whatever I need. And those are the kind of people I need in my life. Because occasionally the journey gets hard and the road gets long and I lose sight of the purpose. And so here's what I'd like to do this morning, we're going to have prayer available for you. If you would like someone to agree with you, there'll be someone up here that you can come and, and you can tell them a need or just say, I want you to pray over me. The altar is also open. If you like, I just want to come up front and I just want to seek God. I don't want to have anybody pray over me. I want to come up and I just want to seek God. I just want to sit in my seat and appreciate the goodness that God's got for me and the love that he shows toward me. We're going to play a song and we're going to show a lyric video. This isn't a time to be distracted and it's not a time to think, well, I wonder what they're doing. I wonder what they need prayer for. I wonder why they're going. It has nothing to do with them. This moment is between you and God. Whatever you're walking through, whatever journey you find yourself on, know that God has a plan. And God has a purpose. We'll be up here for prayer. This time is for you. i
Oh, our hearts always hunger 
we just thank you for your sweet spirit in this place. God, we thank you that we can freely come. We can encourage one another. We can stand on your word. It's nothing we're doing within ourselves, God. It's the leading of the Holy Spirit, your love and your guidance. Thank you for doing a work in people's lives. Those that came forward, God, those that maybe just sat in their chair and they just loved on you and they asked that you would reveal purpose in their life. Maybe someone accepted you as Lord and Savior and said, come take control of my life. I believe in the finished work of the cross, the empty tomb. God, it's the only way that man has eternal life is through you. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. No man comes into the Father except through the name of Jesus. Thank you. It's always you. It's never us. It's always you. And the things that we do today and the places that we go, guide us. Let us walk in the light as you are in the light. We thank you and we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You all have a very blessed day. You are dismissed.